to step on. I've done quite a bit of public speaking and I've been a keynote speaker. And like everybody else, I have the jitters. I, I get nervous. And so all those jitters, all that's about is the mind chatter from the past that says, oh, don't put yourself out there. You're not white. You're not good enough. You don't belong. You're going to mess up. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Nobody's ever going to respect you ever again. That's all that's happening. And that just came because there's a part of me that says, uh-uh, I'm getting ready to make myself vulnerable. I'm going to step out on stage. And now it's just me and the audience. I don't have anything to hide behind. It's just a chatter of that fear of being vulnerable from the past. That's all that's been of drug. And, and I brought that into the present moment. When I am free and unencumbered in the present moment, I look out, I see an audience, and I know that I have a purpose, and I step out, and I deliver that purpose. The speech I won with Toastmasters, my club told me, do not even bother to try and deliver this speech. It was a contest. I'm a uh, second-place winner for my division with Toastmasters. And... The reason why they said don't bother is because the speech included the word but one of the things you do for a contest is you must present your speech prior to the contest and the judges evaluate whether or not it falls within the guidelines for Toastmaster. And they decided that it did. And what that speech was about, when I was 17, I decided I was going to be a major drug dealer. And I went with a group of men down south. And the reason why they were going down south was because they were looking for a trade route to go from the East Coast to the West Coast. And one of the things that's still in existence even today were the prohibitions where they went through the swamps of the down south. Even today, though, you must have a guide because quicksand is something that has no identity. The guide who lives there knows exactly where every spot of quicksand exists. And that's the guy that can take you through the swamps at a high speed of break. Everybody else, a lot of people won't make it through unless they just get lucky, and that's why we're there. So the guy that they were going to go talk to, he lived with his aunt in a shanty. And when I say a shanty, I'm talking a shack on stilts above water. And it was a woman who had never learned how to read, did not wear a pair of shoes, was extremely poor, and I was 17, and I was pretty sure that I knew everything. And I had respect for only three things. That was money, power, and education. And she had, she did not have any one of these three. But this woman turned out to be the most powerful woman in my life. She delivered wisdom to me that today I live by the most powerful words that helped free my life. We proceeded to have long conversations, and for the most part, I was rude, and I ignored her, and she just ignored my rudeness because I was 17. And one of the things, she turned to me in the conversation, and she said, child, what do you feel if I call you a nigger? And I just looked at her and said, I don't know, nothing. She goes, what do you feel when I call you a gook? She goes, never mind. She goes, I see your little face getting all screwed up, and you're prepared to tear me apart with that razor sharp tongue she goes so i'm gonna ask you one more time what do you feel when i call you a and i said nothing she goes what does it make you want to do and i go laugh she goes why and i said because i'm not one she goes then baby why do you hurt when i call you a gook it's the same word 
spoken by the same person for the very same reason, to give you a little bit of their pain. And the only difference between the word and the word gook is you believe you are a gook, but you know you're not So when you hurt, find out what you're in agreement with. Find out what you believe to be true in a statement that you say. And one day I challenge you to look in the face of the person who wants to hurl these racial slurs. Look in the face of that person. And she goes, and the God in you, that compassion is going to well to the surface and you'll see them without your defenses. And what you're going to see is somebody who is broken. You're going to see somebody who hurts worse than you do. And that challenge did not show up for me, and I didn't understand her words. The final words that she said to me was the words of wisdom that made a huge difference when I stepped into presence. She goes, child, words have no meaning until you give them life. And that challenge came to me when I was in El Segundo, California. I was there on a business trip. And my early business morning, I had an appointment. And then I had an appointment that was, it was like three hours later. I shoot pool. And there was a bar I used to go play tournaments in. And the afternoon crowd was an entirely different crowd than the night crowd where I normally uh, went to go shoot my tournaments. The afternoon crowd was the social security crowd. And they were the individuals who got a social security check on the third and then they drank their check away and waited for the next check to arrive. And all they did was sit in that bar and share all the miseries of their life. It was a social security crowd. And now in California, I had one of the greatest freedoms I ever expressed. No one noticed that I was Asian in California. I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Everywhere I went, people found a great need to explain to me that I was Chinese, that I was Japanese. They just, they just found this great need to constantly inform me that I was Asian. Everybody noticed that I was Asian, even complimentary things. They noticed I was Asian. When I moved to California, it was the most amazing feeling to be able to walk down the street and just be one of the crowd. And I got so used to that. And I hadn't heard a word of prejudice spoken in my direction since I had moved to California. Until this day, I went in in the afternoon and I asked for a rack of balls and I went to the back room to start practicing because I had a tournament that weekend. And all of a sudden, I heard an old roomy voice, an old gravelly alcoholic voice shout out, who let the effing Buddha head in here? And it was instantaneous to my system. I was on alert and I was getting ready to do battle with whoever this man was. And for a second, I heard that wise old woman, that beautiful black lady said, child, words have no meaning till you give them life. Look in their eyes and see who lives underneath the words that you are being attacked with. And when he came and got in my face, which is what he did, because I first tried to ignore him, I looked and I saw exactly what she said. I saw an old man full of broken dreams that knew he didn't have any dreams left for him 
that this was it. This was all that life was ever going to be. I saw a man who saw himself as an absolute failure. I saw a man who had never experienced anything in his life that he treasured or wanted to hold on to as a memory. I saw a man full of misery and pain. And in that moment, I was freed for the first time ever of all that anger, the pain, and then the anger that came in to defend the pain because somebody was going to once again tell me there was something wrong with me because my face did not look like theirs. And in that instant, when I understood the depth of the wisdom that she had given to me, I got it. He can't hurt me. There is nothing that he can say or do. It will hurt me. And I turned and I looked at him and I said, I am so sorry. Are you speaking to me? I shocked him so severely. He literally jumped up and leaped back. And I think it was because I speak English so clearly. And his expectation was that I would not do that. And so he stammers and he stutters. And, 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 and then one of the things the lady told me, she goes, child, she said, there's going to be a moment that if you do not give him the power of giving you pain, there's going to be a moment that you will see clarity in their eyes. And there'll be a moment that they will respect who you are. One second, if you do not decide you want to play the dance of hurt me, I hurt, I will hurt you back. And when I looked into his eyes and I saw this man who was so very failed, and I said to him, I'm sorry, are you speaking to me? I saw that second happen in his eyes and he looked at me and he goes, well, 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 uh, uh, you, you, you probably don't know it because you don't sound like you, you don't sound like you, you, you've been in, in your country and, and, but in your country, uh, being called a Buddha head, that's a compliment. And I looked at him, and I smiled, and I said, I can understand that, because I could not imagine ever being likened to Buddha to be anything but a compliment. And I saw that one second where he saw he could not hurt me, and he could not touch me, and that I also was not going to attack him. I was not going to try and deliver any pain back to him. I defended nothing. And there was that second of clarity where his respect in his eyes met the respect in my eyes. And just as rapidly as it shone, it disappeared and he had to be dragged out by the bouncer. But this is, go ahead. I just want to say that the power of words is, is really impactful on many people, whether it's positive or negative. And that brings me along to another subject. The adoption community, especially the CAD community, is full of toxic people that you got the pro-adoption, you got the anti-adoption, you got the pro-liberal, the pro-Republicans, and every of these words, whether the subject matter is good or bad, they're always an association how much power they give them. And they go on this power trip thinking that, oh, you're a bad person. I don't want to deal with you. I feel this philosophy that you're talking about can have a lot of influence to how these people should interact when it comes to the words that other people are saying because i feel that like right now there's just there's just some people that we want to interview but it, it'd be so hard because they can't learn from it they'll just they'll fall down this rabbit hole and they'll keep going thinking that they blame this and that yes 
and all because of what someone said. But the way you learn from the interaction is that you took less power to the word and, and how it, it negatively impacted you and it instantly changed your reaction. So in a way, I feel like you can't control what people say, but you can control how you react to it. Absolutely. I just feel that there's some resemblance when it comes to what you're saying. I, I really love your speech. I was thinking, boy, either this should be at the beginning or the end, but I really feel like that's really the best message for a lot of the, the community that's actually struggling right now. And a lot of it is the meanings that they apply from their, their past. And the only way to really let it go is, is not give it power. And I guess that ties in with forgiveness as well and, and makes forgiveness a little bit more easier uh, thinking uh, with your story. It absolutely is. I mean, it's the really beautiful thing is, is when you get that you are the person that's responsible for how you feel, when you can understand it. And I personally think no one ever understands that until they step into presence. And still they step into the present moment and fully present now, you will never understand that it is your choice. See, it's not that the word is a bad word. It's the way everyone used it. Nip meant nothing more than a laborer. That's all a ever meant in its pure dictionary sense. I hate seeing people say, let's eliminate these words. I don't. I say, let's teach everybody how they can be okay with however anyone uses these words. You can have any opinion you want of me. You can have, there's several people that are in, in our CAD community and they don't want an association with me because I don't have a degree. I don't have, I don't have the education. I don't have anything that says that I should be good at what I do. But I, I want to put a butt to that. You seem to have a lot of experience. And I, I really feel like experience sometimes matters. Experience more than... can trump your degree. I... It does. I ask everybody when they say, well, why wouldn't I want the guy that, you know, has the alphabet behind his name? Why would I rather go talk with you? And I said, well, if your child is lost in the Amazonian jungle and you've got a choice, you can choose the guy that has the finest Harvard education. He has read every book there is known to man on the Amazon jungle. He has the finest equipment and as much money as he could ever possibly need to take a safari into that jungle. You can choose him, or when you go visit the village, it's right outside of the jungle where your child was lost, and all the people in the village point to an old man in his burrow, and they say, that guy makes 40 trips a day in and out of the jungle. He knows it like the back of his hand. That's who you ought to hire to find your child. And I always ask him, so who do you want to hire? And they always say, well, I guess the guy with the burrow. And I said, well, see, that's me. I'm the you need. I am not the doctor with the degree. But I am the old man with the burrow. Yes. So now that we're kind of talking about your, your business or your, your, your mission, generally, do you want to be recognized for your service and promoted here? Because there's a lot of communities out there that don't promote other services, but we're willing to do that for the CADs that have something they want to give back. I would love it. I have been really remiss about doing the business side of my business. 
Um, I rarely have a business because it all came with referrals. I mean, that's the only reason why I have a business. I didn't do any advertising. I started creating a presence on Facebook just because I really, truly love to write. Where I have everybody reach me right now is by my email. I think you have a lot of great wisdom that I think a lot of the adoptees and a lot of our viewers can actually use learn from. and learn from. And it's not just the fact that we're just not just talking about our traumas, whatever. It's the solutions, and that's what I'm glad that you actually reached out to us. It was really a, a privilege. It, it is my privilege because I forget that my entire life, that's the university that I went to. That was my life. And that the experience of abuse, you cannot have compassion until you have understanding. And there are some things in life that unless it's happened to you, you can read all the books in the world about it. But unless you've had the experience, you don't get it. When I talk to a woman that's still in a situation of domestic violence, and I know she's going to stay, and I tell her, I said, yes, I do. I get it. I know what it's like to be beaten, tied up, and left in a closet for six hours in the dark. And you have to pee on yourself in the closet because it's six hours. I know what that abuse is like. And I know the shame of when I have to tell people I'm going back to him. And I know what it feels like when they look at me and they say, why? And I go, because I love him. And I know that there's a really good man in there. I know I get it. That woman knows immediately that the story I'm telling her is true. When I can talk about abuse and talk about the shame that when I walked in, all of those things, they give me a connectedness that I reach people that other people cannot reach. It sounds like with how you uh, actually, I don't know if you could call it treat or help a lot of these people. It sounds like you have a, incredibly a lot of compassion and most of all patience, because I think even it, with me, if I was dealing with someone that I was trying to help and they end up going back to someone that I feel like is a bad person, you actually kind of understand it. And rather than react, you kind of, I guess you just let it happen and hope that the person can make the right choices uh, for themselves. Uh, is there a, a boundary that you have with yourself when someone keeps asking you, hey, uh, or telling you their problems and they keep on telling your problems, but they don't listen? Do you have a boundary with that? No, I don't have a boundary for how many times people can revisit the, ex the existing trauma because that's what people do. Because that's the known, that's the common. And so people, they'll make progress with me and then two weeks later, they'll be right back where they were. And that's okay. See, when I'm in presence, I have no expectation for how you have to show up. I'm in complete acceptance that however you show up in this moment, that this is where you're supposed to be in your journey and in life. I have no expectation. I don't, I don't demand, I'm not responsible for your health and happiness. I am responsible for holding up a sign that says, you don't have to be miserable anymore. You don't have to be a prisoner of the inner demons. You don't have to feel shame. You don't have to feel pain. That's my responsibility. Now, you can read it. You can decide to act on it. You can decide to take any of the things that I offer as new possibilities for your life. But see, that's your choice for you. I'm not responsible for that. I am merely responsible to be the one that holds the light up. That's it. Now, whether or not you choose to walk back into the darkness, 
That is your choice. Everything in our life is our choice. And when you hear someone say, I have no choice, that is somebody who simply doesn't like the choices in front of them. We have a choice everywhere we go. Even if the choice is die or burn in a fire, it's a choice. And no, do I like those choices? No, I don't. But the choice is there. And it's up to me to make the choice, which one do I want to do? Am I going to stay in the fire or do I jump off the cliff? And either way, it's my choice. Everything in life, empowerment is knowing that everything is your choice. Empowerment is saying, I don't give you permission to, I'm not going to dance codependency with you. Simply because you have a bad opinion of me, doesn't change my opinion doesn't change who I am. If I walk out on stage and I watch and I look at the at the camera afterwards, the film of it, and I notice I have a big old booger hanging from my nose and it's been there the entire time that I spoke, it has not changed the content of what I said. It just means that there was a booger in my nose that I did not know I had at the time. I am not mortified. I am not less than. Nothing that I did was diminished because something showed up that might be an embarrassment. Empowerment is the fact that you realize you have the ability to choose in every circumstance, in every situation. Presence is what allows you to see what those choices are. You really mastered your emotions, really, self-mastering. I really think that's, that's really almost, I really think that really has benefited your life and made you the powerful transformative uh, uh change i was curious do, are you familiar with tony robbins oh yes i i read one of his books i think it's uh awaken the giant within it. some of the stuff that you talk about the power of thought it kind of reminds me of that a little bit oh i've done all of those seminars. <laughs> every one of them i give you a long list I, there's somebody else that i really liked as well and that was uh dale carnegie is also a big one i don't know if you heard of him Oh, yes, he was. And somebody who just, and I did all the training for salespeople, Wayne Dwyer. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Wayne Dyer? Yeah, I heard of him. Yes. And so, but The Erroneous Zones, that was his first book. And do you know that everybody says the exact same thing? Everybody that you've named, we're all saying the exact same thing. Yeah. We really, truly are. Nothing new has been invented. It's just that each of us have our personal spin on the truths that we have learned for ourselves. Have you heard of the book? Have you heard of the book, The Magic? And do you believe that your thoughts create your reality? I absolutely believe that. And have I heard the book, The Magic? I think I have, but I'm not certain of that. But yes, your thoughts create everything. The third piece in the seminar, I, I used to do seminars, and they were in three parts, and that was life with trauma, life after trauma, and dreaming into reality. And the dreaming into reality, what people just do not understand is that you literally create your life, and you create it by what you believe to be so. So when we talk about dreaming, most people, they limit their dreams to whatever it is that they can create. That is not a dream. There is more than enough in the universe to for everyone if we wish to have it. There is more than enough there. So the magic, the book call explain it's all about gratitude. Do you feel gratitude is really important to find success in your life? or? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. The moment you start moving into a place of resentment and hopelessness, gratitude is your ticket back to presence. Because if you can stay in gratitude to start saying, okay, right now, I don't feel like I'm grateful for anything, but the reality of it is I am in a warm, safe place. Play as a, let's play as a devil's advocate. So I know there's people watching this video, especially the ones that suffered a lot of trauma. So I guess they'll say, so you're saying I should be grateful that I was raped. I was abused. What is your response to people like that? Well, I'm grateful. I, you don't need to be grateful. It's up to you. But see, I'm grateful because had all those things not happened to me, I wouldn't get to do what I love to do. You can wake me up in the middle of the night and ask for a coaching call. There's, I don't need a dress rehearsal. I'm there. I'm present for you. I, I hold the space of whatever it is that you're needing in that moment. I will hold that space for you. And that's what I'm called to do. None of this would have come about. Had it not been for the rapes, had it not been for the sexual abuse, had it not been for the abandonment, because I have no, I have no inkling as to what that really means, the depth of that, the power that it has to, to, to hold you prisoner for as long as you allow it. The, the image I think about is some people think pain makes you weak, but in your perspective, it sounds like pain actually gave you power, possibly. It has, everything in my life has empowered me, everything. When my husband died, one of the things that really showed up for me is that he, he died two years, actually, after he got saved, he found God, and he died sober. That's amazing. That must make you feel really good, I would think. And I do, because that was that we wanted. But I really was challenged with God, because why would God not allow him to have more life? He only had two years in his entire life. Only he was 50-something when he died. He had two years in his entire life that he found out what it was like to be free, to be happy, to be at peace. Only two years out of his entire life. We're talking about pain. So one of the things that showed up for me, grief did not happen for me initially after he died. And the reason why is because I felt an enormous amount of guilt over feeling grateful that he had passed because his two years of dying had been horrific. It had been, been really hard for him and it was really hard for me. And so initially when he died, I felt the, the impact of the loss, but then there was a part of me that was so glad he wasn't suffering anymore. and was so glad that I wasn't going to have to be the nurse anymore. And so because of that grief didn't show up for me because I felt a lot of guilt on feeling grateful that he had died but what finally did show up for me was in a dream i saw grief show up and the very first thing i did was that i ran away from it and grief showed up as just this black smoke and when i ran away from it it pursued me and then it encased me in a cylinder it became a solid wall and then Fears started coming through the solid wall and they pierced my body and I bled and I hurt so unbelievably. And then the grief would disappear and I'd keep walking through the desert and this was in my dream. And I'd see the grief again start showing up as this black mist. And I heard my husband's voice. I heard him say, don't be afraid. Step into it. 
I'm on the other side. Step into it. And so this time, instead of running away from grief, I moved towards it. And I moved into that black mist. And I felt a cold unlike anything I'd ever experienced and this sharp, piercing pain. And then all of a sudden I felt sunshine because I had walked through the grief. And so that is what keeps us so bound with the pain. We're so afraid to feel the pain that it stays with us so much longer than it needs to. If we give ourselves permission to feel the pain and know it's not going to destroy us. We don't have to run away from that pain. We don't have to avoid anything that is uncomfortable. Move towards whatever you're afraid of. Move towards it. Move directly towards it. And what you will discover, that fear was not real. That fear was the biggest liar you will ever know in your lifetime. Move towards it. And then you'll move through it. Do you feel there's a power to being able to listen to someone and validate their feelings? Or do you feel that it's not helpful in the end? That's absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. Do you feel that actually helps reduce their trauma? Because I feel like maybe people just come to you because they want someone to listen to you and just let them know that there's someone there. My feeling is the biggest role that I play for my clients I become the parent they wish they had had. And that's the parent who's without judgment. That's the parent who loves them because they breathe. That's the parent who knows that they are amazing and sees a future of somebody who's incredible and successful and wonderful and peaceful and happy. And for nearly everyone, there's that space where they just need to be heard. They just need somebody to say, You matter so much that I want to hear everything that you have to say in this moment. I feel that's so critical when it comes to the role of mental health because I think people commit suicide is because they feel there's no one that's listening to them. Exactly. Or they're judged that say, hey, you get over it. You know, that's probably the worst thing to tell someone is their advice by telling them get over it. It's probably the worst advice you can give someone. They just want to be heard and listened to. see that you understand what they're going through i feel yeah when i was a kid i wasn't very good that people tell me to get over it uh, back when before i put a little muzzle on my mouth my instant response back to them was always i'll tell you what when you cease to be ugly i'll get over it okay so (laughs) you do you feel there's a difference between acceptance and getting over it or no or is it the same well i don't think they mean the same because of the way people use the term get over it. Getting over it says that it totally diminishes your experience. It's saying it was no big deal. What is your problem? Acceptance is saying, please know that this had nothing to do with you. This had all to do with the person who was so very damaged, who did this to you. And please know that all that was was a momentary experience for you to have an understanding of an aspect of being human. And if you can accept that that's all that was, you can be free of that person being your jailer for life. So, yeah, a big difference between get over it 
and acceptance. See, the first thing that I believe that you have to have to make a difference with anyone, you got to have connection and they need to feel like you've got compassion that you have and you can't have compassion without understanding. And that's the reason why someone can stand on the outside and in a judgmental way say, just get over it. What's the big deal? They don't have the understanding. They haven't had that experience. So it's not even that they're being cruel or unkind. They don't get it. They don't understand that. It's the reason why I'm so very effective. And a lot of the therapists that I know can't reach some of the people that they have talked to because those therapists, they read about being raped. They read about sexual abuse. They read about abandonment. But in their life, they have not had those life experiences. And I think it is really, really difficult to really reach out. I think the therapist that is the most effective is the one when you talk to them, you find out their life was hell. That's the therapist that, those are the therapists that I've always done an amazing amount of work with. I just want to tell both of you, the energy that the two of you put out is absolutely amazing. It is so healing. I'm so glad that you actually talked. This, this was incredible. I'll be honest, some of the stuff that we've been posting is slightly negative. I do think it is important talking about it, but the most important fact is what I was really questioning was we had really good adoption family. We had a very good birth family reunion. reunion. But I kept thinking about those people that just didn't, just didn't and, get it. They and just... it's in that cycle. And, and I wanted to keep reaching out to a lot of Korean adoptees such as yourself that, holy cow, you've been through it all, but you found peace with it and you can actually live a happier and you can manage your life better. Basically. It's a fulfilling life. Yeah. And I think it's just amazing. You're a perfect example of so, last words. What do you think for someone that just doesn't get it, that they they don't understand presence. They don't understand uh, the meaning of, of, they're just stubborn in that, that scenario of negative stinking thinking, they call it. And it's, it just snowballs. What is your, what is your advice on people that just don't get it? I, I'm what, sure like with all the stuff on the news, you probably have a, uh, not an angry response. You probably have a compassionate view that maybe these people actually are hurting. That's what I'm thinking. People only stay in their misery because they are so terrified there is nothing else that's the only reason why people stay in their misery people that stay in their misery i don't know if you've ever seen a movie where someone's trying to save someone's life who's in the ocean drowning and what you see is that person pulls them underneath the ocean with them people stay in their misery because they don't know anything else there are some people that and i did the very same thing for a while my banner that made me better than everybody else in the world was all the freaking bad stuff that happened to me because i have far more bad stuff that ever happened to me than you do so my stories are better than yours that makes me better than you my trauma my damage became my false ego that was in the beginning of my healing but people only stay in their misery because they don't see that somebody has not yet held up a beacon that they see as a possibility for themselves. And so I'm in total acceptance for everybody being wherever it is that they need to be. I will still tell you the amazing, good, and wonderful things that I am supposed to bring to you. It's okay if you're not ready to hear them. It's okay if you say, oh, you know what? She's a freaking idiot. She's never even gone to school talking about this presence crap and all this dreaming stuff. And that's okay. But I know one thing. 
I know absolutely because history already has proven it. My words will be with you. And one day there's going to be a place where you're going to hear those words and you're going to be ready to let go of the security of your damage. Can I ask you a personal question? Certainly. So I know you had some really bad relationships with your adoptive family. Did you cut them out of your life for most of your life? And did you go to their funeral at all? Or was it just something that you just had to set aside? Or what was your process with that? When I got committed to the mental hospital at the age of 12 was pretty much the last time that I was in contact with my adopted family. My adopted sister, she's not biological. And I yeah, I was going to ask you about your family. So you, I guess you're saying that it was your parents, obviously. And then I guess you had an adoptive sister. Do you have any other brothers or sisters at all? Or No, that's it. Okay. That's it. We were not biological sisters, but we were from the same orphanage. Both of us from Korea. But we found each other, it was about six years ago. And it wasn't even that I walked away from my family. My family just really didn't want to have anything to do with me. They saw me as a lost cause, and they really didn't want to be bothered. Why did they decide to adopt you? Was it because they couldn't have fair children, or was it because they wanted to prove to other people that they're better than people because they're adopting you from somewhere poor? Or? My adopted mother lost three children, and the last child she actually carried and delivered, and then the child died shortly after she gave birth. And she was so certain that God was punishing her for being the wild woman that she had been in her youth, because she had had sex outside of marriage. And you have to know that in Kansas, in my adopted mother's day, that was just horrific. And so she became very religious. And the church that she uh, belonged to was one of the sponsors for Holt Adoption. The church believed that it was their responsibility to care for the sins of their sons. I was a sin of their son. Their sons went to Korea. Their sons had sex out of marriage with Korean women, and they left babies behind. Now, you also have to know this very same community said that all other non-white races came from man having sex with animals. That's what I grew up with initially. Man, that's old school. Isn't it? But see, I was like, cool, because my race came from cats, and I think cats are totally cool. I kind of find it interesting, though. The religious aspect was kind of, like, corrupted in a way, but it sounds like you still believe in God. You didn't totally disregard it. Uh... Oh, no. I became, because in my teens, I woke up one day and somebody had this scripture about God and the birds, and I went in my backyard, and there were seven dead birds in my backyard, and I said, you know what? There is no effing God in the world, because when I was a child, and I cried out, and I said, God, please, please don't let this happen. Please stop it. Please. No God ever showed up for me, and there are seven dead birds in my backyard, so tell me, tell me where the God went to. And so I dedicatedly went on a long journey to convince all the fools that wanted to believe in the adult Santa Claus that they called God and wanted to believe that there was somebody going to intervene on their behalf. I did everything I could. I learned the Bible forwards and backwards, and I could argue with you on any topic. I joined AA because my late husband really needed to have that kind of support system. Um, alcohol really had never been the real big issue for me. Drugs 
were a big issue for me. But we joined AA. So you actually did dabble in street drugs? Oh, meth became my drug of choice. How the heck do you stop wanting to, to do that? Do you know, I got to tell you, I think that meth kind of acted like Ritalin for me because it just didn't have the same effect. Called it, they say that when you have like ADHD or something, because most people, when they do meth, they're supposed to like uh, get, get all wild, but she get more calm. It sounds like you became more calm too, or? Yes. Okay. It did. It had all its negative and bad effects as well. But my experience for me wasn't the way other people experienced it. It actually made me feel even. I mean, it actually slowed me down. And so I think that that's probably why my meth addiction was a whole lot easier to process out of than it is for other people. People, when they have two types of addictions, and that's the emotional addiction and the physical addiction, yep. that is hard to walk away from. I had the emotional addiction, but I didn't have the physical addiction. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so I think that that's why my journey for me was much easier to step out of it because I only did it because I just didn't want to feel the way I felt. And that's the only reason why I ever did any of the drugs or the alcohol or anything else. I just, just for a few moments, I didn't want to feel the way I felt. And when I started getting emotional healing, those drugs really didn't become necessary. I'm guessing you don't even do recreational weed or... You know what? I do on occasion because it's kind of a choice as to whether or not I want to do some other kind of painkiller versus... But it's not like something that you like need or addicted to, it sounds like. No, no. You're able to free yourself of all the substances. No, I absolutely believe it has wonderful medical benefits. I absolutely believe that. I've got friends that went through cancer. I have friends that have all kinds of arthritic conditions that are extremely painful. It's supposed to help people with autism too, I heard. I think that it has a lot of benefits. I don't know personally about the autistic benefits. I can see where it would. It's not my it's not my favorite. For me, I use it for sleep and for pain, but primarily for sleep because sleep has been something that has always eluded me. I struggled with sleep my entire life. And the one thing I found that for me, marijuana lets me just blissfully fall into a sleep. Even with that, though, I sleep like four hours. I mean, it just is, sleep is just something that's just part of. I wanted to ask you, since you seem to know, like, kind of the, the street knowledge, have you heard of this substance called DMT? Uh, yes. It's like a hallucinogen that I think it's painful as heck when they actually have those highs or whatever you call it. But have you heard of that? I have. I guess there's some drugs that help with, like, emotional trauma that you have, like PTSD, that they're given some type of hallucinogenic or... I'm sure that there are a lot of them. There are several drugs that are offered in Europe that we do not yet embrace here that supposedly have a lot of... For purity proper, like for addiction in particular, and then for those individuals that have the extreme high-low, the manic highs and the very extreme. And they're supposedly... As, I'm not familiar with it, no. Oh, okay. Well, just for a, another topic, what got you into the CAD community and... When did that spark interest? And I wanted to add to that that I wanted to ask you more about your birth records, if you know anything about it, or have you tried searching for your family? Okay. And then the only other thing I really want to complete for you is I want to talk to you how I came back to God, because that was an amazingly powerful moment in my life. I belonged to a sunrisers meeting that got together at six in the morning, and I knew 
going into, there was a third month of doing AA and I knew that where I was going to have to reconcile, I was going to have to reconcile with the spiritual aspects of AA because that's foundational to the program. And I lived in Santa Barbara, California, and Santa Barbara's really quiet at one in the morning. And I stepped outside and I went to my knees for the very first time. And I knew it was one o'clock because I had one of those old fashioned clocks, which you may never have seen. And they had little plastic flips, little panels that flipped to create the numbers that you saw on the clock. Now, you guys may never have seen one of them, but believe me, they did. And when those little plastic discs would flip, they made a noise. And when it was really, really quiet, you could really hear the click of the noise changing time. So when I heard that click, I looked inside and I saw the clock and it was one in the morning. And I told God, I said, God, if you are real, I need a sign. And I promise you I will dedicate the rest of my days to knowing your truth if you give me this sign. And the next morning, I went to the AA meeting, and a man walked in who looked pretty much like a homeless human. And he said he had a burning desire and asked if he could lead our meeting. He steps up to the podium, and he says, good morning. My name is John. I hope you will forgive my disheveled appearance. But every now and then, my God sends me on a mission. And last night at 1 o'clock, and before he could even finish what came out of his mouth, I knew this was a sign that I had asked for. But he completed, and he said last night at 1 o'clock, my God said, be at this meeting because someone here wants to know if he is real. And whoever you are, I am here to tell you God is real. And he pauses like he can hear something. And he said, and God wants you to know that he waited your entire life for you to come back home. And I desperately wanted to talk to him. I was so grateful that he was the messenger. But he was real sure that God had sent him to two women that were younger and cuter than me. So he didn't want to talk to me at all. And I never, ever got to have another conversation with him. But that's how I came back to God, was this amazing miracle that, this amazing miracle that God placed and he continues to put in my life. And one of the things that I had to reconcile with God was that, how can sexual abuse happen? And how can an innocent child, how can I cry out in the night and beg you to please stop this from happening? And how can you not hear me and answer me? And again, God answers things for me in a dream. But what I got to see was that God gave man free will. And that that free will was so complete. It was free will and only the way in which God can allow it to be. And that free will was an understanding that man got to choose his destiny. And that every choice that man makes creates a consequence. And the choices that man has made through the ages to move towards sin and away from God brought molestation into the world, brought beatings, brought war, brought murder, brought all these horrendous, horrific things that we do to each other as humans. And all of those actions God allows because he gave man free will. And with that free will, he then also gives us that opportunity to choose him, to step back into the presence of God. I have never regretted 
making that choice. God is as real to me and know that when I talk about a spiritual experience, religion is ritual. That is a human's idea of how we're supposed to powerfully speak to God. I will tell you, my relationship with God, it's a one-on-one. I talk directly to God and God talks back to me. Most of the time he talks to me in dreams. But God answers every question I have ever placed towards him. You actually kind of remind me of, of a minister. Have you ever thought that you wanted that kind of job? I have had the call for a long time, and I've just kind of resisted it. I bring it up because there's this pastor in Minnesota that's kind of looking for someone to lead his kind of group. And I was wondering if that's kind of your background or not, because otherwise, I don't know if you two want to connect. His name's Pastor Park. He's pretty well known. I'd love to. Okay. Yeah, go ahead with your story. Well, no, you were asking me how I came into the CAD community. Yep. Through God, one of the ladies that I jointly uh, moderate the uh, Awakened Empath Facebook page, her name's Kim, and she is Korean. And she really went on this strong desire to connect to Koreans. And so she did that. So she joined all these different groups. And Derek, I think, uh, reached out to her and asked her uh, if she'd be willing to come on as a volunteer. And she said, well, I would be, but I think the person you want to come on as a volunteer to do what you're looking for is my friend Sasha. That's how I got connected to the uh, CAD community. She put together a Zoom meeting with Derek, and we did an interview. And Derek Fisher? Yes. Sounds like you were involved with Guide then, right? Not involved. I, all I did was volunteer, and then they had decided that I was going to do this. Uh, they were anyway. I don't know if they still are or not. But they were doing this once a week, like Words of Wisdom or something. I don't remember what it was, but it, it was a podcast. And Moses Farrell was doing that podcast. And I guess he decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And so he had decided that uh, I would probably be the perfect person to do that podcast. That's how this all came together. And everything after that has just been wherever it is that I see that I think that there's a benefit to me and to the other person I reach out or actually most of the people have reached out to me. But uh, you guys, you got to know. I adore authentic, unique human beings. So I do. I just want you to so get how awesome and incredible I think you are. Yeah, thanks. We really appreciate it. Because there is no, there's no lonelier place in the world to be than to be the person who's not just like everybody else. There really isn't. It means you are powerful creators. It means that who you are in the world is going to be somebody that makes things happen. You're not just standing on the sidelines going, somebody ought to do something. The most fabulous thing about you is the fact that you had the courage to be what occurred to you in that moment. I adore and admire you. That's greatly appreciated. I'm really glad that you think on the other side that we're actually just decent human beings. That's really what my whole shindig with all of this of why we do this is just we like creating and we like experiencing. We like listening to other people's stories. Yes. And so. it's important. A lot of adoptees and people in general dealing with suicide really think it's important to talk about it, even if it's difficult. Absolutely. I really think connecting with you, especially during the COVID times, it's just a perfect time to do it. And as long as people want to keep talking, we'll keep on doing it. And But hey, you met us and I think we're okay, right? You are absolutely. 
perfectly okay. You're not only just okay. You guys, I want you truly to hear the incredible. Your auras are just beautiful. You have love and compassion. It is so a part of who you are. And for anybody who's not afraid of their own shadow, they will so see who you really are. You can't be afraid of your shadow because that's why I really feel like people cut it. Yep. I don't, I don't know that that's been always our thing. Yep. You just can't be afraid. No, and that is, and you know that you are leaders, you are change makers, you are light bringers. And so everything about you is wonderful and awesome. And, and you're doing this at this young age to see compassion and caring in young men your age. It's one of the rarest, most beautiful things that I can bear witness to. So you will never please all the people all the time. Yep. Just never going to happen. Based off your wisdom, you you can't let those words control you. No. See, I just know I answer the call that's within me, and I know it's the right thing. Is it right for everyone? No, it isn't. And that's okay. It's right for the people that it's right for. And those are the only people that I have any concern in reaching. Whoever it's right for, I'm here. If I am the wrong thing for you, Pass right back any of any of my posts. Just go right on past them. Don't bother to see a single interview. Don't read any stories. It's okay. It is absolutely okay. We all have messages from different perspectives. And it's okay. But you guys are really awesome. I, I really love to connect these Koreans that I that are people that I think would fit with each other. And, and that's what I'm seeing right now. Well, and I really, truly appreciate that. And more than anything, though, guys, I hope that what you really get is that you were called to do what you're doing. And you were one of the few who had the courage to step up and say, I am here. And I want to acknowledge and applaud you, no matter whatever negative thing you might hear from anywhere else. What I see is the pure spirit of who you are. And who you are is love and compassion and concern and a willingness to make that happen. But no, you guys are awesome. And I'm, I'm just absolutely proud to be part. And when I told you, it was very true. What I see is that we are a conspiracy of healing. And that's what we're all about. And there's a thousand different ways in which to approach a mountain. And there's some for everybody. And so we don't have to worry about the haters. Just keep on doing it. Yes. As long as you enjoy doing it, that's all that really matters. It's, that is. It's not about the viewers. It's just as long as you just keep on doing And I really have a passion for Yep. I love doing this. So. Well, and you know, and the really crazy thing was I used to have almost 5,000 followers. And the day that I came out and announced that I was a Christian, I lost almost all my followers overnight. Really? Yes. I think I had something like... 2,000 followers now. That doesn't make sense. You believe in God, so you're not Christian? Or is there a difference that you see yourself as? Or No, I said I am a Christian. That's what I did is I came out in a post. Oh, that's what you made you lose followers. Yes. Oh. yes. And I came out in a post and said, and I did so because one of my clients, she's been a Catholic her entire 17 generations of her family have been Catholics. And she was devout. And I mean, she was a Catholic that was in church every day. And she had to deal with a visiting priest molesting her son. And all of a sudden for her, the entire world fell apart because her life was her children and her church and her God. How did you help her tackle that challenge with such conflict between God and 
what finally reached it for her was an old Zen quote, and I don't know who said it, but to remember the finger that points to the moon is not the moon. And that's what resonated for her and understanding he was one man in the church. He's not every priest. He is not the church. He is not God. He is not anything except one man. One man that had a moment that was pretty ugly. And so all your focus, this is when you now really need God and you need the church and the support that you have. That is what reached her. But what she really asked of me, and she said, well, if you believe so devoutly in God, how come every post I've ever read, I really have never heard God mentioned in your posts? I said, will it make a difference for you and your healing if I post on what my position is as far as Christianity is concerned? She goes, well, yeah. I, she goes, she goes I, I never knew you were a Christian until we started working together. And I said, mostly because I don't promote politics. I don't promote religions. I don't promote products. What I really want is for everyone to get a sense of what empowerment in this life is really all about. That it's about being able to choose how you show up in every given moment. And I said, but if it will make a difference for you and your son, I will post tomorrow. And that's why I posted. I said, I am not an in-your-face Christian who says, you must believe the way I believe, or that I'm going to live in judgment and tell you that you're going to die and go to hell. My beliefs are my beliefs, and all I ask you is just to accept the fact that this is my experience in life. This is my story. You can read it. You can agree with it. You don't have to be present with it. You can decide to never listen to me again. But yes, I am a Christian, and I am a Jesus-believing Christian. So it makes me like one of those, one of those Christians. But yes, that is who I am. It's really weird because back then, maybe like so 20, maybe even like 15 years ago, that Christianity was actually very popular. I mean, our family mm -hmm. is Christian. We still go to church. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird how it kind of went backwards now. And a lot of people seem to be becoming atheists, I guess. Well, I, I will tell you the worst advertisers for Christianity are Christians. I mean, I, I am so very sorry, but they just are. I mean, it's like in my church, I am dealing with the fact that they really like to share fake news. And it drives me crazy. It's like, where is it? What happens to some very intelligent Christians that they no longer feel like that they have to be factual and what they say is happening in the world. And I have I have kind of a problem with that. I have a problem with the in-your-face Christians that feel like that they must jam down everyone's throat. I am a Christian, and this is the way you ought to believe also. People talk to me about Christianity voluntarily because what they do is they see something in my life they want, and all of a sudden one day they'll ask, what's your spiritual beliefs? They will ask me. I don't chase people down and judge them and start screaming at them the you know all the blood and guts that, that came out of christianity wherever it is that you choose to be that's got to be your choice to be and people don't come to me because of anything other than the fact that they see something that i have that they want that's the only reason why people come to me people recommend all of my clients come by recommendation i have only in the last three clients that i got are going to be the only clients I've had in 40 years that weren't recommended by someone. 
and so anyway, and I'm just off on a rant here, but I just don't, I just don't think that you have to be an in-your-face Christian telling everybody that that's the only way you got to be. Now, I would very much like it if the entire world embraced the beliefs and the ideals that I have, because I believe we have a world of peace, and I believe that we would have a world that would quit killing each other and quit doing horrific things to one another and quit selling cigarettes when they know they're killing people and quit selling drugs that they know are going to kill people. It's my belief, but I don't have to shove that down anyone's throat. I don't shove anything that I think down anybody's throat. That's why I don't I don't know why it affects them because people are, are kind of weird in a way. I don't know why they kind of judge someone based off their personal beliefs. If it helps you, that's fine. But as long as you're not putting in the business, I think it's it's unfortunate. People are afraid of what they don't understand and what they've had bad experiences with. And for most people, religion falls in both of those categories. That's the same with those anti-adopters, the pain mm-hmm. of being adopted, bad families, uh, bad birth families. It kind of mimics in a way. Yes, it does. It does. You know, and when I say that, because it's like on the one side, he gave me a list of words that he doesn't ever want me to use in my post. And one of them, you can't use biological, you can't use adopted, you can't, I don't know, he gave me a list of words. And say, I'm like, oh my God. I would have just left that chat, no offense. (laughs) Well, but see, the thing is, is I don't want to leave a bad taste with anyone. Oh. I really, truly don't. And so... Because the person that I disrespect may be the person down the road tomorrow that needs to have a conversation with me. And if I've disrespected them in the moment when I last spoke with them, they're never going to reach out to me. And so that's all I did is I told them, I said, you know what, we just have a different view. And my personal belief is we are opposite sides of the same coin. And I am glad you're in the world doing all the healing that you're working towards. We're just not in agreement on how that ought to be presented. And I wish you the absolute best. I will not post on your site. I wish you the absolute best. I really love that advice that even if you don't agree with stuff, you can still get along. You can. You respect everybody. <laughs> <laughs>